Due to adult content, parental discretion is advised. To begin. To begin. Are you watching closely? How to start? I just, I'm bored. What plaything can you offer me today? In Life Itself, a memoir, Roger Ebert begins. I was born inside the movie of my life. I was born a poor black child. The visuals were before me. I was born in it. The audio surrounded me. Molded by it. The plot unfolded inevitably, but not necessarily. I don't remember how I got into the movie, but it continues to entertain me. At first, the frames flicker without connection. We all are born with a certain package. We are who we are. Where we were born, who we were born as, how we were raised. We're kind of stuck inside that person. And the purpose of civilization and growth is to be able to reach out and empathize a little bit with other people. And for me, the movies are like a machine that generates empathy. It lets you understand a little bit more about different hopes, aspirations, dreams, and fears. It helps us to identify with the people who are sharing this journey with us. Here's the deal. You just give me the facts. Just the facts. Only the facts. Breathe. Focus. Keep it simple. No, no, no. No doubt. No doubt. Okay. Welcome to Cock and Bull Movie Talk. What used to be a Tristram Shandy story. In which, apparently, obviously, we don't talk about Tristram Shandy minute by minute. But isn't that the point? Good Lord, what is this story all about? Cock and Bull story. Here's your host, me, Professor Robert E. G. Black. Where are we? Group 8? I think. Is this Group 8? I feel like it's Group 8 and it'll last forever because it's infinity. But let's double check. Oh, I was right. It's Group 8. You know what Group 8 is? Group 8 is the war and Spitfire grow. A couple movies that most people haven't seen. And that's okay. Most people haven't seen a lot of movies. And definitely most people haven't seen a lot of movies. Talked about Spitfire Girl already. Talked about Roger Ebert not liking it. And speaking of... Ooh. Throw out the message and the tortured symbolism of the war and what you'd have left would be a wonderful movie. This is one of those films so overwrought and overwritten... Is that redundant? I don't remember. That a perfectly good human story gets swamped in statements about the human condition. Mississippi, 1972. The dirt-poor backwater unincorporated town of Juliet, where the Simmons family lives in poverty. The father, Kevin Costner, has never been able to hold a job long since coming back from Vietnam. He also spent time in a mental hospital, that's worth mentioning. Or maybe not, because it's a secret that you tell Stu, whatever. The mother, Mayor Winningham, exhausts herself in double shifts as a waitress. The kids, Stu and Lydia, Elijah Wood and Lexi Randall, hang out with their friends as the long, hot summer looms ahead. Stu's plan is to build a treehouse. Lydia wants to get involved too, along with her two best friends, black girls who like to sing the hits with her in a vocal trio. Stu and his two buddies don't want girls involved, but the girls win a bet, and the six of them build a treehouse so impressive that only a studio prop department could possibly equal it. Before I get to anything else, he says there's something that comes up in a bunch of user reviews on IMDb. People talking about, like, how the... Spoilers. There are two big climax moments to this film. One of them is involving a water tower and swimming inside it while it's trying to drain. I don't know how realistic the violent draining of the water tower is, but it makes for an interesting visual. And we're in there twice, but especially at the end of the film. 
But even bigger than that is the fight, the titular war, if you will. It's not just about Vietnam. We do get flashbacks to Vietnam that don't quite seem genuine. They lit a little weird, some off about them visually. But there's a war over this treehouse. And yes, it's a fancy treehouse. It's awesome. It's huge, but the tree, the opening shot of the film is the tree. Just the camera circling this big tree with these large, low branches coming out in all directions. It's a tree that was built for a treehouse. Definitely made for climbing on it. But there's the key to the movie is the narration. It's narration that isn't necessarily necessary, as it were. I often have problems with narration. I think I've mentioned in this show before. A lot of movies use narration as a crutch. Start with a little narration, end with a little narration. Hey, we got a story. If you're one of those people who don't like movies where some person you can't see talks the whole time and covers up all the holes in the plot, and at the end says, I was never the same again after that summer, or whatever, like it was so deep they can't stand it, then you're out of luck. This one is a movie you're more familiar with, like The Outsiders. The narration is the story that the main character is writing in school later. Then I step out into the bright sunlight from the darkness of the movie house. I had only two things on my mind. Paul Newman and a ride home. The key to that, though, is it doesn't matter how unrealistic you think the treehouse is. It doesn't matter how over-the-top you think the fighting is with the explosives and the potato launchers kid hitting another kid with a bat. It doesn't matter how you think the swimming goes or how realistic the water tower is or how horrible the lip are for that matter because all of it is through the lens of what Lydia thinks because she is telling the story in her memoirs at school. Good morning, girls and boys. My name is Miss Stratford. Now, this summer, we are going to be familiarizing ourselves with what I believe is just the finest little book ever come into print. It is entitled, Why My Life is Like a Bowl of Cherries. Now didn't that title just give you a thrill? <laughs> Excuse me, darling. When the teacher is speaking, the polite thing for girls and boys to do is to shut their little mouths and listen. You understand? Yes, ma'am. Now, once we are finished with this book, we are going to be devoting our time to writing our memoirs. This is where you will indicate to me why you... So we're looking at a story through the lens of a child. And it's the same way the movie is looking at war through the lens of a child. Which is simplistic, reductive, trite. But it's also sort of the point. This is Kathy McWhorter's only writing credit, I believe. It's the screenplay. I actually don't know what else she did. John Abnett was coming off of Fried Green Tomatoes as director when he made this. A movie that came up a couple weeks ago in this show. It's not like this movie was made by big popular people. I mean, in, in 94 when it came out, Kevin Costner was big. Elijah Wood had only just started to exist <laughs> in Hollywood. Not in life. I'd seen Paradise in a test screening, but that was his first, maybe not his first role ever, but his first role that took notice. 
That wasn't long before this. I should check. She could know things. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. His first film role technically was a bit part in his the kid playing video games in Back to the Future Part 2. Apparently in a couple of Paula Abdul videos. Internal Affairs, Child of Night, Avalon. Yeah, Paradise was 91. And then Radio Flyer, that was much bigger. Tom Hanks, that movie got some attention. Forever Young, I saw that as a test screening as well. Huck Finn had already come out. The Good Son had already come out. North had already come out. Yeah, by the time the war comes out, it's like paying attention to Elijah Wood. I didn't see this movie properly in the theater. That is not to say I didn't see it in the theater. I did see it on the big screen. I didn't go pay for it. I didn't see it at a regular movie theater. They had a, I think this was a preview screening, like a test screening, sort of. They were going to get audience reactions at USC, where I was a student at the time, hoping to go into their film program. I did end up in the film program. That's a whole other tragic mishap along the way. Dropped out of the school after two years. Didn't get my degree from there. Didn't get a degree until many years later when I went back to college. But I was there at the time. I was taking film class, and that night we were supposed to be watching, um, I want to say it was Three Days of the Condor, but I have this vague sense that it might be All the President's Men. One of those. I'd seen either one before, though I don't have much memory of them there when I was young, but I was like, okay, I could watch this movie, which the teacher's going to give a lecture about and we're going to have a discussion about anyway, or I could go to this free screening of The War, this brand new movie. So. I ducked out, went over to see the new screening of the war, and loved it. Because for all of its cheese, all of its obviousness, like Costner's character, I don't remember if his character has a name. I know the subtitles call him Daddy, which was funny. He gets a little preachy here and there. He sits Stu down twice to tell him the story about Vietnam, what happened there. Spoilers. He pointed a gun at one of his own fellow soldiers because his best friend was dying. They didn't have room in the helicopter because there were so many wounded already on there. Messed with his head. Two days later... My country presented me with a purple heart and a bronze star for bravery. Why didn't you make him take him, Dad? Because I lost my mind. Fighting had consumed us and we'd all gone nuts. That's what my struggle's been about. All these years. Trying to forgive myself. Pardon my country. I can't tell you never to fight this dude. Whenever you want to know what I think. The only thing that keeps people truly safe and happy is love. I think I think that's where men get their courage. That's where countries get their strength. And that's where God grants us her miracles. And in that absence of love, Stuart, there 
has nothing. Nothing in this world worth fighting for. And he was injured physically. We don't know exactly how. We don't hear about that, I don't think. We only see the scars. And they're big. On his arm and his torso. And the scene when we see them, Stu's waking him up in the morning and it's the PTSD wake up. Grabs Stu, rolls over on him like he's ready to kill him. Life would be perfect if not for the post-traumatic shock syndrome that still bedevils the Costner character and those damned lip nickies. They're the kids of the scuzzy ignoramus who runs the junkyard and they are as mean and ugly and unclean a bunch as you could imagine. Even from 20 yards, the sight of their hair would send a school nurse running for her clippers. The Lipnicky boys are bullies. They chase and torment the Simmons kids and their friends and want to capture the treehouse and play mean tricks. And their dad is a sorry piece of work, much given to bashing his pickup into the back of the Simmons station wagon. The Costner character could easily thrash the scrawny Lipnicky dad within an inch of his life, but he has been to the war and learned that fighting does not settle anything. And he even gives a couple of the Lipnicky kids cotton candy, because it don't look like nobody has done much for them in a long time, which... That's not the actual part. Let the river drop Hey, trespasser. I know that's your daddy good for. Of course, a couple of robbers living in it now. <laughs> Get in the car. across the table. Then touch the things you cannot feel And close your fingertips And fly where I can't hold you Let the sun rain fall And let the dewy clouds enfold you And maybe you can sing to I hope you know them the kids are just beat me up I know who they are well, then why'd you just give a mom and Lydia's cotton candy? Because it looked like they hadn't been given nothing in a long time. Which is a great moment. That's something I remembered when the first time I saw this. The mockingbird sings each different song. Each song has wings they won't stay long to those who hear think he's doing wrong while the church bell tolls its one note song and the school bell is tinkling to the throne come here where your ears cannot hear And close your ears, child And listen to what I'll tell you Follow in the darkest night The sounds that may impel you And the song that I am singing May disturb or serve to quell you all the sound you hear ain't what they say Then don't mind me Cause I ain't nothing but a dream mm-hmm. 
but grass Mother cities choke and yell with fuming gas I hold some grapes up to the sun And their flavor breaks upon my tongue With eager tongues we taste our strife And fill our lungs with seas of life Come taste and smell the waters of our time And close your lips, child So softly I might kiss you Let your flower perfume out And let the wind caress you As I walk on through the garden I am hoping I don't miss you All the things you taste ain't what they seem Then don't mind me Cause I ain't nothing but a dream The sun and moon both are right And we'll see them soon through days of night But now silver leaves on mirrors bring delight And the color of your eyes are fiery bright While darkness blinds the skies with all its light Come see where your eyes cannot see Then close your eyes, child, and look at what I'll show you. Let your mind go reeling out and let the breezes blow you. Then maybe when we meet, suddenly I will know you. If all the things you see ain't what they seem. Then don't mind me Cause I ain't nothing but a dream And you can follow And you can follow Follow Costner's little preachiness moments talking about how fighting's not going to solve anything isn't as good. But little moments, like when he finds out Lydia got in a fight and he asks Stu if Lydia's up to anything else that he ought to know about. Stu's response is great. Who is that boy? His name's Lester Luck. He's the reason Lydia got stuck in summer school. She hit him in the tooth of the rock and he went and told the prince where she'd been cheating off all his papers. She hit him in the mouth with a rock? Oh, yeah. He's always calling her names. So last year, she thought to knock every tooth in his head out. So you'll have to talk to that girl. Got a pretty good start. She doing anything else I should know about? 
He's doing a lot of things, but I don't, I don't think, think you should know, know about that. That's nice. And the cotton candy moment is nice because you've already seen that he makes Stu apologize. He makes Mr. Lipnicki apologize. And he could easily kill this guy, but he doesn't want to. At least he don't smell like a drunken skunk! What'd you say to me? I'll break your neck, you little shithead! Dad! Dad! Great, I can't allow you to put your hands on my son. You don't see me correcting your children. I don't mind so much. You plowing into my car and I don't take offense if you calling me names. But you go after my child, he's going to push a button on me and then I'm going to lose control and kill you. Now I apologize to my son. I apologize. It's mighty kind to you. My son has something to tell you. Apologize to Mr. Lip, Nicky Stu. Tell him you're sorry for insulting him. Sorry, Mr. Lip, Nicky. Seeing it is a more powerful little moment than him talking about it. And that's why the cotton candy thing is great. Because he's right. Lip, Nicky doesn't do anything for his kids. They just wander around bullying people, getting into trouble. Of course, so do the Simmons kids and their friends. That's the kind of movie it is. The movie develops several different relationships. The shyly renewed courtship of the Simmons parents. The bitter feud between Stu and the Lipnickies. Most effectively, the friendship between Lydia and her best girls, Elvedine and Amber, Latoya Chisholm, and Charlotte Julius. The movie's best scene may be one in a summer school class where the ditzy and racist teacher gets lacerating truth-telling from Elvedine and then a backup blast from Lydia. That one is pretty good. Stand up and tell the class what was so important that you had to interrupt me again. I already told you. I wasn't saying nothing. I know you did. And I want to hear what it was. We're all waiting. She already told you. I think she can speak for herself. All right, I'll tell you. I was saying, Elvedeen, what you got to write about? But in the sixth grade, your whole good-for-nothing life ain't got no daddy. Never goes anywhere but where your feet take you. Only this money ever belonged to you in the whole world was $20 you got yourself in a birthday card from your uncle last year. But it really wasn't for my birthday. Really, it was for laying over his lap and letting him spank me with my underpants down. Now here you come along, shoving me in the back of the room where eyes can't even see good, which means I'm probably not going to graduate this summer new. Just cause you read how some white man say life be like a bowl full of chairs, I got to come up with something to fit his saying. Well, fine. I just write down how happy I'm gonna be to get twenty more dollars on my birthday. Never mind what he got planned for me this year. And I'ma write how maybe the new man my mama seen might stop drinking and treat me nice. And maybe he gonna dot me and take us off the welfare. And at the end, I'm gonna be sure and put Life show is a bowl full of chairs. But to tell you the truth, Miss Strap, I think you 
and that book and his whole class be a bowl full of shit. Although watching it again recently, I realize it doesn't connect as much to the rest of the film. Go to the principal's office. Race is an interesting aside. No. But not necessarily what the movie's about. But it also is. Because that memoir thing in the summer school. And getting to know other people and get their truth does fit. Sort of. Didn't you hear a damn word she said? Excuse me. She told you the best truth she knows. And you don't got no right to put her out or call her a liar, neither. My mama says folks who treat people bad only do it because they're ignorant. So I'm gonna help you. She's gonna sit up front where she can see from now on. And she ain't gonna go by color girl no more, neither. You're gonna learn her name. I don't know about you, but all my friends have names. And this just so happens to be my best friend. Her name is Elvadine. And maybe it's even a better way of getting to the messaging than Costner just saying it, as he does say it. You know, my father used to say, nothing you ever do in this lifetime is going to make a difference. Wouldn't you know, Lois, out of all the remarks anybody ever said to me, that's the one I held on to. Maybe that's why I joined up. Chance to do something good. And they was drafting. And then I went and let my best friend die because I didn't have enough oh, guts and self-respect don't to stand Don't do this up. to yourself, Stephen. You've done the only thing you know. Well, need. I don't want our kids growing up thinking they're powerless because of me. Everything they do in this world has a consequence. Our children still believe in miracles. They still believe anything's possible. And so long as they believe like that, they're going to be something. They're going to make a difference in this world. And that means I made a difference. Last thing for this week. I'll talk more about this movie next time. And we'll figure out which one do I like more. Which one's better. The war with Spitfire Girl. Was it six, seven years ago? I forget how many years now. I performed a piece from this movie. Spoilers. The dad dies in an accident in a mine where he's working. Well, he doesn't die there, but he dies in the hospital later. And I did a performance piece in competition. Interpretive. POI, if you know what that is. Program Oral Interp. That included scenes of people angry at God. And another one. The one about people dealing with death. I used the same scene in two different pieces, which might have been frowned upon, but I didn't care. And I happen to have audio of it, so maybe I'll do a little mix-up of me and Elijah Wood here. I don't know. Give you a whole scene. Mom? And I'll be back next time. Your daddy just died. No. No. It wasn't painful. His heart. Just quit pumping. He's gonna, gonna be okay. okay. He's gonna die. die. He's, He's on machines. Son, they took him off. Well, tell him to put him back on. Call him. Honey. He's gone. It's. They can't now. I'm sorry. I'd take him off, off, Ma. 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 
Does it cost too much? No. You understand, don't you? I understand that everybody just give up on him. Don't you know nothing could have kept your father away from you given he had a choice? I bet he's up there right now in heaven looking down on us. He's going to be able to look out for us the rest of our lives. Yeah. Well, I sure as hell hope he does a better job than when he was alive. Don't say that, Stu. Why not? You thought he was a deadbeat. I never said that. Well, I know he could have been an angel. Maybe he's looking down on us now. Maybe he died in that war and got sent him back for one last visit. For what? To get our hopes up. To promise us he'd stay forever. And we could have a big house with a tie swing and a vanity and a picket fence. And then just leave? Again? What the hell kind of loused up angel is that? He didn't mean to leave. <laughs> no, he didn't mean it. I think God just took him on home. Where is home, Ma? This is more than having later. Why? Why did God take everything, Ma? Bad enough for house and all the things. Why did he take my daddy? What did I do so wrong? Why did he take my daddy? Oh no. You didn't do nothing. He could have took anybody. Charles Manson, super old people are around a hundred years. My daddy was only 34 years old. I needed him more than you got. I needed him more. No. Hang on. I want him back, Mom. We all do. We do. No, Stu. Thank you for listening. This has been Cockable Movie Talk. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter or Facebook at Cockable Minute or check lemondrops.com for links. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Doc. Uh, are you telling me that you built a time machine? Out of a Mandalorian. Why would you create such an abomination? This is the weapon of the cowboy. The, uh, it's a past stuff that dreams are made of. Cut. That's a wrap. It's over, Johnny. It's over! Nothing is over! Nothing! You just don't turn it off! Shut up! Shut the fuck! You're all right to take me. Shut up! Will you shut up! Shut up! Shut, 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 shut up! You're still here? Shut up! Now! It's over. Go home. Go.